We're continuing in our series called uh, All Together Now. And uh, we saw really what uh, sort of expertise looks like when it comes to choral uh, arrangement. Uh, but sort of the, the metaphor that we're using uh, for this series is, is when, when just a bunch of amateurs come together to form a choir, or when a grade six music teacher is supposed to do a, a, a song for an assembly with, with some students, and the frustration that that can sometimes bring, trying to get a, gr- a group of people to, to lift their voices all, all together now, and the idea is that, that God is like our choir director, and as it says in Romans 15, we're supposed to live in harmony with one another, and with one voice together, we're to give glory to Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's, our, that's our aim uh, today. You know, there is uh, something that I was reading about this week that, that might interest you. It's been proven to burn body fat. It's been proven to prevent heart disease and stroke and type 2 diabetes. It strengthens bones and muscles. It increases your energy. It improves mood cognition, and memory. It even helps you sleep better. It strengthens your immune system, and it reduces stress and tension. Anybody interested? It's not, uh, it's not some, uh, some essential oil. It's, 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 it's not a supplement. It's not the latest kale and chia seed smoothie. It's not even apple cider vinegar. All of these health benefits are available to us if we go for a walk. Walking is just good for our physical health. And what's true about our physical health is also true about our spiritual health. Uh, Healthy bodies walk. Healthy Christians walk. The the passage that that Ian read to us is is one of many passages where the New Testament authors use walking as really as a metaphor for living the Christian life. In fact, the New International Version translates the word walk for live your life in this way, that we are called to walk together with Christ. And so this is where we've been headed with our series, just to bring you up to speed. We've been talking about being on mission together and worshiping together, and today we're going to be talking about walking together. And our aim is that as we, as we seek to do all of these things together for the glory of Christ and in the context of community, worshiping together and walking together and working together and witnessing together, our aim is that we want to do these things biblically, relationally, and prayerfully. We, we don't want to worship in a way that's not, not uh, uh, commanded in Scripture, and we certainly don't want to do something that is forbidden for us to do in Scripture. And when we talk about walking, we we want to walk as followers of Jesus Christ because we're commanded to, and we're commanded to do that in the context of loving relationships within the church. And as I just prayed, and as we prayed before the service, and as small groups and uh, pray together when they're uh, meeting together, and as we pray during our own personal devotions, our aim is to do that prayerfully as well. But today I want to talk about 
walking. Worshiping together is when we get our eyes on our Savior and our ears open to his word and we look at our Savior and we hear his voice and he tells us, this is the way, walk in it. And and now I want to talk about, well, how do we actually follow what he's telling us to do when we get these visions of who God is, when we hear his word proclaimed in the gospel on Sunday, what do we do on Monday through Saturday? That that's what we mean here at Hope when we talk about walking with Christ. It's living your whole life 24-7 in submission to your Savior for the glory of your God. Jesus, when he called his disciples, he walked up to them, and he literally told them, come and follow me. To to be a disciple of Jesus, when he walked on the earth, was to literally walk with him. And it's not that much different for us today. Jesus is not physically present as he was when he called Peter and John and James, but his spirit is present and his word is here and his church has been established. And so Jesus is calling you and maybe recalling you to say, hey, stop heading over there and follow me. This is the way. Walk in it. And today's message is going to be really, uh, really simple. And again, for, for this series, we're, we're sort of breaking from the norm at Hope Church. Normally, we pick one book of the Bible and go through it verse by verse, line by line, paragraph by paragraph. But in this All Together Now series, we are, we are looking at a, a, t- taking a broader picture from multiple passages of Scripture to reorient ourselves in terms of where are we and where are we going as a church family. And so today, I I really just want to share with you two guardrails that Jesus has put in place for us. He said that the, the road is narrow that leads to life. And along the narrow road, Jesus has has put lovingly put some guardrails for us that if we hop over them, we, we find ourselves off the path of what it means to follow him. The first guardrail that we saw modeled in Jesus' life, modeled in the New Testament church, and and commanded in the the New Testament epistles, is is the idea of practicing spiritual disciplines. So if you're taking notes today, you can jot that down. Practicing spiritual disciplines. We see Jesus getting up early in the morning to Pray. We see Jesus having scripture memorized when he's being tempted by the devil. We, we see Jesus uh, uh, fasting. We see him practicing all of these different spiritual disciplines. And we see these things being carried on by the New Testament church and commanded by the New Testament epistles. Discipline and training is such an important thing for the Christian life. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Bodily training is of some value. Some of you are looking at me and you're saying, you don't value it enough, Ted. And I know, I don't, okay? It is of some value and it needs to become more of a priority in my life. And I'm sure it does for many of us as well. 
But what would be more concerning is if you would look at my life and to say, Ted, you, you don't have any spiritual training. There aren't any spiritual disciplines in your life. That would be far more concerning because the spiritual disciplines, training in godliness, Paul says here, is of value in every way. It affects every area of our lives. Our own self-control and putting sin to death. Our own relationships. Our own ability to work and serve and lead in our community or our different spheres of influences. We need to have disciplines in our Life. Now, the, the core discipline or primary discipline, again, there's, there's a, about 10 or a dozen different disciplines that we can mention. I'm just going to zero in on two today. The first one is Bible reading. Bible reading. You know, there's been a lot of uh, funny videos out there that you can look up on your phone where someone else is watching some sort of video or something on their phone while they're trying to walk. And, and then something funny happens, like they walk into a wall, or they fall into a fountain, or they collide with another person. And there's been some tragic incidences as well with people walking out into traffic or off a cliff. Why? Because they're, they're trying to walk, but they're distracted by this thing in their, in their hands. Now, you might not walk with your phone, but is your phone a distraction for you in living the Christian life? In your spiritual walk, are you allowing the ways of this world and the news cycle and the opinions of different political pundits or sports or entertainment, are you allowing that to shape who you are rather than allowing the Word of God to shape who you are? Remember these beautiful words from Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. We scroll through scoffers and sinners and wickedness for hours on our phone. But blessing comes to those who don't walk in those ways, who don't allow those things to shape our minds, but have our minds renewed by the word of God. Keep reading, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. I didn't bring my phone with me, but imagine that I had my phone in this hand and my Bible in this hand. What are you meditating on day and night? Where are you sitting? How are you walking? Who are you listening to? If you, you know, download the ESV Bible app or get you know, a bunch of CDs or MP3s with the Bible recorded on it, you can find that for someone to read the Bible out loud takes about 74 and a half hours, just under 75 hours. So even if, even if you're a slow reader, you, you can read the Bible out loud in less than 75 hours. 
Less than 15 minutes a day of devoted Bible reading gets you from Genesis to Revelation in one year. 15 minutes. Recent studies have shown that the average Canadian spends one hour and 45 minutes on their phone, not working on their phone, but engaged in social media on their phone. One hour and 45 minutes. If you swapped out the Bible for your phone for 42 days straight, Genesis to Revelation, you'd have the whole thing read. Loved ones, it's time to switch Instagram for the inspired word. I've got some more. It's time to, ch- it's time to change Facebook for the good book. It's time to change TikTok for the solid rock. <laughs> sometimes sometimes I, I start these things and I think, this is really good, this is really good, and then I think, no, I just need to make that into a bit of a joke. And, but really, I think that's pretty good. But anyway. But it, it's, not just, it's not just reading, right? We all remember in school, like those reading comprehension tests. It's, it's not just enough to, to actually read the Bible. That's, that's just part of it. We've got to do it. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24, he said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words, but not just hearing, you got to do them. And then Jesus, a half-brother, James, says, "Be, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently in his, at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The the blessing of Psalm 1 is not just available to those who hear the word of God. It is available to those who do the word of God. So yes, we have to set aside time. We have to have disciplines in our life to make sure that we're regularly getting this book right in front of our face. But that's not enough. We have to discipline ourselves to do it. Uh, to, To help you... Uh, in your devotions tonight or, or tomorrow morning, here are four questions that I often uh, ask myself when I'm trying to, uh, trying to apply the Word of God to my life. First off, what is the context of this passage? I want to make sure that I'm hearing it right. I don't want to take what God is saying out of context. Who is saying it? Is it a prophet? Is it an apostle? Is, is it an unbeliever who's speaking in, in a narrative, asking a question? What's the context? Who's speaking and who are they speaking to? I want to know that first off. What had just happened in the book earlier? What's about to happen next? What's the context? You don't want to take people's words out of context. You certainly don't want to take God's words out of context. And then ask yourself, what is God telling me about himself or about myself? 
Is, is this passage telling me something about who God is, or is it revealing something that's in me, something that I need to do, or an area that I need to grow in, or something just about humanity in general? Then the third question I'm asking myself is, what principles or commands or promises are given? And then from there, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where the walking really starts to make progress. What's one specific way I can live by these principles, obey these commands, or trust these promises today? The spiritual discipline of Bible reading. Remember, when Jesus gave the great commandment, the great commission, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, and teaching them all that I've commanded. That's not what he said. He said, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded, to walk with him by following in his steps. Then the the second aspect of practicing spiritual disciplines that I want to highlight, again, there are about a dozen of them, and our small groups are actually going to be studying all of the spiritual disciplines. Here's the second um, spiritual discipline, is the discipline of prayer. Now, it is true that there are other disciplines like meditating and memorizing, but that all flows out of Bible reading. And there are other disciplines like fasting and silence and solitude, but again, all of that kind of flows in and out of prayer, doesn't it? So if we get Bible reading and prayer right, then all of the other disciplines will sort of begin to fall into into place. Bible reading is God speaking to us, and prayer is us speaking to God. Jesus lives in perfect relationship, as the Son, in perfect relationship with the Father. And He wants us to know how to relate to God as Father, how to pray to Him. Jesus gave some warnings about how not to pray, you know, be done with the long public prayers to try to impress uh, other people. Be, long, be, be done with sort of the, the repetitive prayers, like you're some, somehow leveraging God. Look how serious about this I am, so that you're going to have to answer. Jesus says, no, you're getting all that wrong. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Have you ever have a really important conversation that you need to, you need to have with someone or a really crucial email and you really just tend to, you tend to overthink it, you proofread it a whole bunch of times, you go over the conversation in the mirror, in the car, you know, your spouse catches you talking while you're washing the dishes, you're practicing, for, you're, you're, you're overthinking it, right? And sometimes when we want to talk to God, we, we overthink it. And, and Jesus really just nails it on the head when he says, this is how you got to start. you got to start with our Father. you got to understand that, that you're God's child, that you belong to him, that he loves you with an everlasting love. And fundamentally, what, what Jesus is, is telling us to do here, let me just break it down for you. When, when we pray, it's really about relating to God, and it's about relying on God. 
relating to God as Father, our Father in heaven, that He loves you. Just, just enjoy the fact that you are a son or a daughter of the King. And then relating to God as holy, hallowed be your name. That there's, there's no one like the Lord who is perfect, who is holy, who is glorious. And then relating to Him as sovereign, that He's in charge. Your kingdom come and your will be done. It begins with relating to God as Father and as holy and as sovereign. And then it's really just relying on God for provision. Give us today our daily bread. For pardon or forgiveness, forgive us our debts. And then for protection, lead us not into temptation. Now, most Christians uh, tend to fall into two categories. There are, because I spend a lot of time talking to Christians, talking about spiritual disciplines. Uh, some people report, you know, Bible reading isn't so great, but my prayer life is great. And I just love talking to the Father, you know, first thing in the morning or late at night or when I'm driving in my car. My prayer life is terrific, but I just struggle to open God's Word on a regular basis. Other people do really well in, in having a discipline to read God's Word regularly. They hear God speak to them a lot, but they don't themselves speak to God very often, or they struggle to, to find words. I fall into that second category. Prayer is a struggle. It's an uphill battle uh, for me. It has been ever since I was a young Christian. When I was a 10 or 11, I remember asking my dad about how to pray and, and, and how, I, how, I, how, how I should relate to God. And he shared with me this really simple uh, acronym that spells the word ACTS. Just four simple uh, categories, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Lord, I, I worship you because, that's adoration. And then, Lord, I'm sorry for, that's when you have a time of confession. And Lord, I thank you for, that's thanksgiving. And then, Lord, please help me with this upcoming project. Lord, please help my neighbor who is battling cancer. Lord, please help my children as they navigate junior high and high school supplication. Lord, please help. And for years and years, I... I prayed the acts of prayer, and then I remember going to a session with Garrett Higby, who's a very godly biblical counselor down in the, down in the States. He's part of the Great Commission uh, Collective, and he says, you know what, i got to be honest, I don't always pray acts. He says, sometimes I pray cast. Because it doesn't always have to, you read the Psalms, it doesn't always go in that order. Sometimes you, got, you know you did something wrong, and what you got to do, first and foremost, is confess. Because if you're starting with adoration at that point, it just seems disingenuous. Because you know that there's something that you need to confess to the Lord. Or you could even pray cats if, if, if you wanted. Um, there you go. Uh, there's, there's a, a scat. There's a whole bunch of different options. The, the, the point is, again, don't overthink it. It's about relating to God. It's about relying on God. Sometimes there's a supplication need that's so urgent that you just want to start with that. Whatever is on your mind, start with that. When, when my kids come into the room, it doesn't matter. You know, Lindsay and I could be talking to one or two of our boys, and a, another one of our boys, he's already started to share what's on his mind before he even comes into the room. He's yelling it while he's coming up the stairs. Meanwhile, there's a full-on conversation going on 
But that's how a child relates to their father or their mother in the same way. What's on your heart? What's on your mind? Don't overthink it. Start there and you'll notice that eventually you'll hit all of the important categories of relating to God and relying on God, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and, and, and supplication. So don't overthink it. Colossians 4 verse 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Again, it's important for us to have devoted, intentional conversations with God in the same way that we should have, you know, an appointment in our calendar for when we're going to be reading the Bible. Maybe at that very same time or at another time, there should be an appointment with God where you pray. Now, for some of us, you're like, that's it. That's the Christian life. I love God, and I love his word. I pray to God, and I read his word. And some of us just think that that's that's the Christian life. It's just me and Jesus. It's me and my Bible. It's me and my prayer life. And yeah, you know, I fill a seat in church, or I tune in online, or whatever, and I listen to some podcasts, because I know that I have some things that I need to, to learn, but for me, the Christian life is just me and my Bible, and me praying. This whole idea, you hear people say, you know, I like Jesus, but I don't really like Christians. You ever hear people say that? Like, that's the biggest cop-out in the world. Oh, I like Jesus and I like the Bible, but I don't like Christians. Well, Jesus is perfect and the Bible's perfect. Jesus is inerrant and the Bible is inerrant. It's not hard to love something that's perfect and inerrant. Like, welcome. Like, you've just graduated kindergarten of Christianity. You love Jesus and the Bible. Good for you. It really gets hard when you stop just loving a book and stop just loving Jesus and start following the book and following Jesus and start loving some other people. Amen. And so the other, the other guardrail that, that God has given to us is, is the context of participating in a small group. Participating in a small group. We, we see this all the way back in Exodus chapter 18 when Jethro was looking at Moses and all these people are lining up waiting to meet with Moses and Jethro is Moses' father-in-law and he's looking at his daughter Zipporah. He's looking at his beautiful grandkids and they're sitting there waiting for Moses to have some time to spend with his family and then Jethro says, what you're doing is not good. And so he breaks the people up into different groups, to, into different subcategories so that everyone can be encouraged and so that everyone can be led we see it in the book of Acts where, where the people were gathering together regularly in the temple, but they were also gathering house to house, breaking bread in their homes. God's people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament practiced these larger gatherings where everyone came together and then these smaller gatherings. And both are vitally important. Now we talked about the larger gatherings last week with worshiping uh, together. But I want us to, to spend some time thinking about participating in a small group. A few weeks ago, I was uh, teaching in uh, Hope Kids. And uh, my, my family were there. Some of my kids are in Hope Kids. Others, Lindsay and some of my older boys, are working in Hope Kids. 
And uh, so I was teaching the lesson, and uh, whoever wrote the lesson, it was, it was brilliant. One of our leaders uh, wrote the lessons for the summer, and, and the idea was that I was supposed to act out or mime a different job. It was like charades, where I, you know, I put on like a vest, and then I, I held up a sign, and I blew a whistle, and the kids were getting ready to go back to school, and so they, they knew that they shouted out, you're a crossing guard. And, uh, and then I, 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 did, you know, I put on a, a hard hat and a, another vest, and then I started jackhammering, and they were like, a construction worker. And then I said, well, how did you know what kind of a worker I was? And they said, well, I could tell by, by what you were doing. What you were doing showed that you were a crossing guard. It showed that you were a construction worker. And then I said, how can you tell if someone is a Christian? And then I told them that, you know, Jesus, when he called his followers, again, it was pretty easy to know who was a disciple with Jesus. It was pretty easy to know who's following Jesus, who's walking with Jesus, because Jesus is there, and the guys that are following him are the ones that are following him. But then in John chapter 13, when Jesus is just hours before going to the cross, and and days before resurrection, and days more before being ascended into heaven, Jesus is going to make it clear to the disciples, you're no longer going to be physically following me, but here's how you can know who's a Christian and who's not a Christian. And this is what Jesus said in John chapter 13. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Personal spiritual disciplines are not enough. You, you cannot know that someone is a follower of Jesus by their private reading of God's word or their private personal prayer life. The only way that people will know that you are a follower of Jesus is by the way that you love, not just love your neighbor, as important as that is, look at the verse. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Fifteen other times in the New Testament were commanded to love one another. And then loving one another falls into all of these subcategories. Fifty-nine one another commands are found in the Bible. Be devoted to one another, honor one another, care for one another, be patient with one another, submit to one another. Go to the next slide. It just keeps, it just keeps going. Bear with one another, slow hospi- show hospitality to one another, stop passing judgment on one another. So there, there's all of these one another commands that you can't fulfill in your personal disciplines. I don't care how much you read the Bible, how much you pray, unless you are rubbing shoulders with other brothers and sisters of Christ, there are 59 New Testament imperatives that you can't obey. And so uh, here at Hope, in order to foster an environment where these 59 commands can be obeyed, we have small groups. And rather than focusing, you know, have a, checking, a checklist of 59, I've broken it down into just four uh, categories. Teaching one another, confessing to one another, correcting one another, and encouraging one another. Th- this is what we're going after when we meet together as small groups. You see, here's the truth. Everyone at Hope Church 
is both needy and needed. I want everyone right now just to utter the words, I am needy. You ready? One, two, three. I am needy. And I want everyone to utter the words, I am needed. One, two, three. I am needed. Now for some of us, we know we're needy. We know that there have been some boulders that have fallen on our path. We know that we've stumbled and fallen along the way. We know that the particular part of the journey that we're on right now is steep and difficult and hard, and we're in need of some help. Some of us know that, but the people who are, can freely say, I'm needy, help me, don't always realize that they're also needed. Sometimes we think that I'm only in a position to receive right now, without understanding that the way that you're enduring under that trial, other people need to see that. And the way that you encourage or teach or whatever, whatever spiritual gift you happen to have, you're not just needy, you're also needed. And then there are others of us, we know we're needed. We know some things. We've read the Bible a lot. We, we understand theology. We've taken some counseling classes, or I'm a small group leader. I serve in this ministry. I'm a captain of this team over here. We know that we're needed, and our schedule is full of ministry activities where we're pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. We know we're needed, but do we remember that we're also needy? Do we remember that it's not just about us helping everyone else, but that Everyone else also needs to help us. That the, the pastors, the elders of this church are, are needy. That the, that the staff, that your small group leader, that, that, that the, the people who are running Hope Kids right now, they're needy. Not just needed. We're, we're both of those things. So the aim is that, that, we would, that we would teach one another and confess to one another and correct one another and encourage one another. So starting with teaching one another, I love this verse, a Proverbs, sorry, I'm messing with the slide guy. A Proverbs 13.20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Again, we scroll through and like and friend all kinds of foolishness. We have many foolish companions, and it's only going to result in us suffering harm. People who are telling us, hey, come off the way, get off the narrow path and follow this way. Start heading in the opposite direction. Everyone else is doing it. But whoever walks with the wise will become wise we got to be teaching one another. we got to teach one another Bible content. And some of us have this gift, some of us don't. But again, everyone approaches Scripture from a different angle. And so when small groups come together, we can teach one another Bible content. But it's not just Bible content. There's also personal testimony that you can teach one another by sharing how living out this particular verse, how that made a difference in your life. We teach one another through, through Bible teaching, through personal testimony, and then lastly, just through personal example. 
that the more time that we spend with one another, you know, I find so often the real learning time in small group happens in that 15 or 20 minutes when you're waiting for the late person. Sorry to call you out, late person. And you just get to observe how your small group leader manages their family or bedtime or cleaning up after dinner or whatever it is. Or, or how you observe how one small group, small group member interacts with another small group member or the conversation afterwards. There's a personal example of godliness that we can pick up uh, from one another. Stuff that's, not, you know, that, stuff that's not taught but stuff that's caught. That can only happen in something like Something like a small group. So teaching uh, one another. And then secondly, confessing uh, to one another. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now we studied the book of James a little while ago. Remember James chapter 5? There's several things overlapping here. There's people who are sick who are calling for the elders to pray for them, to anoint them with oil. It also mentions that, that... One of the reasons why that person may be sick, not in every instance, but is because there's some sort of unconfessed sin in their life. And so that word word healed could also be translated saved or recovered. And so it could be healed physically, but it also could be restored spiritually. That, That there's something that happens when we confess our sin, not just to God, but confess our sin to one another and and confess our neediness. I love what 1 John 1, 7 and 8 says. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in it. If we keep our sin in the dark, we're, we're deceiving other people into thinking that we're perfect. We also deceive ourselves and we're not walking in the light. It's only when we walk in the light that we have fellowship with one another. So we need to teach one another. We need to confess one another. But the truth is, sometimes there are things in our life that we'd love to confess, but we just don't know that they're there. It's kind of like when you're at, you know, you're having wings with your friend and they've got, you know, they've got some spicy habanero sauce like up here. I don't know how it happened, but there's up here on their cheek. And they're, ta- they're having this dead serious conversation with you, and they're pointing the chicken wing at you, and you just, you're like, um, sorry, we just need to stop here for a second. And you just tell them, and then they, they obviously always go to the wrong side, because it's clumsy, right? And then eventually, they get it. And it's, we need to correct one another, because we all have blind spots, Proverbs 15.31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Reproof means to draw your attention to something that you didn't see. But notice the context of the reproof. It's got to be life-giving. It's not, you messed up, you did it wrong, that's bad, you sinned. No, it's got to be life-giving in the way that we communicate it. And those who listen to that kind of reproof regularly will dwell among, it's not easy to hear. It's really not easy to hear. I've been trying to open myself up to life-giving reproof for, for decades now. It just, it never gets easy. The defensiveness is always trying to kick in. I always have an explanation or an excuse. 
But I become wise when I say, I'm going to receive what this person is saying to me. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, notice this, in a spirit of gentleness, in a way that's life-giving. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. How would you be tempted? Tempted maybe to fall into the same sin that they're struggling with. But I think probably tempted to actually think that you're somehow better. Protect yourself. I remember Jesus gave a warning about this. Remember the speck in the other person's eye? Wasn't quite chicken wing sauce, but the speck. And meanwhile, we have a big plank in our eye. Someone's got, someone's got you know, chicken wing sauce on their face, and you have like a, a carrot stick and a, a piece of uh, celery with blue cheese on the end sticking out your ear. <laughs> that we think that we're somehow better. So we got to correct one another. And then lastly, we got to encourage one another. The same verse that encourages us to gather as a large group also can encourage us to gather in smaller groups. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. It says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift them up, his, will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Sometimes we fall. Sometimes we fall because we're sinful. Sometimes we fall because we hopped over a guardrail and decided to go the way of the world rather than the way of Jesus, and we fall, and we need people to lift us up. Sometimes. Sometimes we fall because the enemy just pushes us down and kicks us, and we need someone to lift us up. Sometimes we fall just because we went into a valley that was dark and the terrain became super difficult and it was just the hardship of the walk that caused us to fall. Sometimes we fall and it's our fault. Sometimes we fall and it's not our fault. Whether it's our fault or not our fault, it's better to have people around you who can help you get up. That's what we need. And so loved ones, what we're, what we're aiming at here is... I mean, there's 500 people in this room. There's 100 other children over in Hope Kids right now. 20 or 25 volunteers uh, working with those kids. So it's like there's 625 people who are worshiping at a Hope Church. It's, it's impossible for us to know everyone. You cannot know every. You can't even know everyone's name let alone know how they're doing on their journey or whether or not they fall. And listen, you, we can't know everyone equally, but everyone can be equally known. That if we commit to being a part of, I want to give credit where credit's due. I think that was Brett McCracken in his book, Uncomfortable, that said that. We can't know everyone equally, but everyone can be equally known. If we commit to participate in these kinds of groups, 
We, we will be there for one another, and we will feel known and loved, and we will do all of these things. We'll be teaching one another, confessing uh, to one another, and um, uh, correcting one another, and encouraging one another. So, if you're not in a group, at the end of the service, there's going to be a table that you can go and get some information about signing up. If you already are a member here at Hope, then we, we're, our aim is just to get as many people as possible plugged into groups that have space for, uh, for new members. If you're not a member here at Hope, again, the same table, we want to be able to plug you into our first step class, which is, a, which is the, the first step in getting plugged into, uh, into a small group. It's more than a Bible study. It's about doing all of these things. It's not just teaching. It's, it's the confessing, it's the correcting, it's the encouraging, it's those 59 uh, commands that Jesus has given us in terms of caring for one another. But if you are in a group, know that there are people on a waiting list trying to get in. There's going to be a whole bunch of people. You're in a privileged position if you happen to be in a group. Have you sort of just started to take that for granted? Again, we, we've addressed the whole like COVID ate my homework thing, right? Okay, that, that's... There was a time where we couldn't always get together or that, that it wasn't always easy. And, and, but can we, just, can we just recommit? Your small group leader most likely has already sent you a schedule for the next three or four months. Have you taken that schedule and actually plugged it into your calendar so you know when those events are? So you're not caught off guard on Thursday night. Oh, wait, we have small group in 15 minutes. Oh, maybe I can't go because it was a busy... Are we making it a priority? Are we letting our small group leaders and our small group, fellow small group members say, listen, I'm committed to this. I am all in. I, I, I recognize that I am needy, and I also recognize that I am needed. And I want to do life together with you. Over the next couple of years, uh, Lindsay and I are hoping to you know, do some sort of long road trip uh, uh, heading west, and um, one, one of the things that I really want to be able to see, I know they're in San Francisco, I know they're sort of similar trees in uh, British Columbia uh, as well, there's, there's these, massive these massive redwoods, these massive sequoia trees, and that, that's a little person. <laughs> Uh, at, at the base of these trees, you see people, you know, on social media, you're still okay to go on it every now and again, where they're holding hands, holding hands around, around the tree, you know what I'm talking about? Some of, the, some of those tree trunks are, are uh, 102 feet in circumference. Some of them are 275 feet tall. They weigh, like the estimate of what they weigh is 2.7 million pounds. Like, you talk about growth, right? Like, like a tree, <laughs> Psalm 1. And the thing that's really unique about as impressive as a sequoia tree, as a redwood tree is to look at above the ground, the answer to why they grow like that lies below the ground. That just like Psalm 1, they have these massive root systems that stretch out to find water. Just like our personal disciplines, just like Psalm 1, meditating on the law of the Lord. But it's not just that these roots reach out for water. 
The thing that really makes these trees so strong is that in these massive forests where the trees grow exceptionally large, the root systems are not just individually reaching to water, they're corporately interconnected with one another. And when storms or drought starts to, 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 to rock things, if there was one tree on its own that big, it would surely topple. But the fact that they're interconnected, that's where the strength comes. And so, loved ones, we are better together. We are stronger together in Practicing these spiritual disciplines, yes, but also committing to participate in a small group to deepen those relationships so that when the storms of life come, when we stumble along the way, we have other people to lift us up. We have other people to strengthen us and support us. Let's bow our heads and and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for this opportunity to gather in your name, to sing your praise, to hear your word read, and to have it taught, Lord. And Father, we pray that as our eyes have been focused on you and our ears have been opened to your word, God, we pray that you would help us to live it out, help us to walk in your ways. And so, Father, we love you and thank you. And God, for those who are uh, new to our church, who are thinking about jumping into a small group and making that commitment, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them and they, they would indeed find and develop those relationships. And, and God, I also pray for those of us who have been part of this church, maybe for 13 years, maybe for 10 or 11 or 12, and, and the, just the routine, the familiarity, the regularity of small group has, has caused us just to become less committed or less excited about doing life together. I pray that you would reinvigorate us as we recommit to doing the one another's together as a church family. May we be like those trees planted by streams of water. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.